0: listening to the High Performance Nursing Podcast with me, Liam Caswell, where I help clinicians just like you take control of their careers and remove all the things stopping you from achieving your biggest goals. Let's dive in. Can you believe that we are celebrating one year since the High Performance Nursing Podcast launched? It launched on the 17th of January 2021 and I was full of all the fears and I did it anyway. And look where we are now. I'm so, so grateful for everybody that has listened to the podcast over the last year. And today's episode is really a celebration of how far we've come, despite what's happening in the world, so that we can celebrate what we have achieved as a community within high-performance nursing over the last year. I launched the podcast to give nurses a voice, to share the stories of career clinicians that are working up through the ranks, that are doing the inner work, that are pushing their boundaries, and that are aspiring to be the best versions of themselves. And having listened to most of the podcast back myself, with a lot of cringe factor because I've got a really loud inner critic, I am so proud of what we've been able to curate for you within the podcast. Over the last year, I wanted to give you some of the stats that we had. It's not about numbers. It's about what it's allowed you guys to achieve within your careers. And I know this because so many of you have got in touch with me and told me how certain episodes have really impacted your career growth, your personal development, and where you're heading on your amazing, unique career path. Now, the podcast itself has been downloaded over 9,000 times, which just blows my mind. I just can't even deal with that. We've had 34 episodes. The podcast has been listened to in over 23 countries globally. Yes, globally. We have listeners all over the place, but a particular shout out to our Australian listeners, of course. The United States, the UK, Ireland, and New Zealand. You guys are the top listeners, and I love you so, so much. You cannot even understand how much it means to me. We've had 20 phenomenal international guests, and I want to thank all of them that have been on the podcast. I also have been talking into your ears... 13 times in 13 solo episodes, which I'm super proud of as well, because to sit in front of a microphone and talk as a perfectionist or a recovering perfectionist is bloody damn hard. So um, yay to me. The podcast was also recognised by Jackson at the Nurse Break as one of the top 10 Australian nursing podcasts and that in itself just blows my mind. I am little Liam from Scotland and I've come across here and been able to create this platform that so many of you enjoy and download and listen to and give me your time most importantly because I know it's super valuable so thank you for that recognition of all the hard work that we've done. To further celebrate we have also been accepted into and invited into the Health Podcast Network, which is an amazing global network of clinicians who have podcasts that are giving healthcare a voice and are trying to make change within the industry. And I'm so grateful to Dan and the team at the Health Podcast Network for allowing me this opportunity to reach a bigger audience and also Be exposed to new opportunities within the podcast world because getting to this point a year in is, you know, it's a huge achievement Um, and I think that's something that all of us could definitely take away from the things that we do in life is making sure that we celebrate everything we achieve because we're bloody awesome, right? Without further ado, I wanted to reintroduce you to five amazing guests that we had over the last year. And I know that there are so many amazing people that have been on the podcast, but in particular, these five episodes were kind of the most highly rated, I guess, if you look at downloads and the feedback that I received personally. So... The key themes that you're going to notice are that we talk a lot about inner work, we talk about the global state of healthcare, there's a lot of internal focus um, when we start working ourselves that we can then affect things in our external world, and we talk a lot about self-coaching and leadership. I'm super excited for you to re-listen to these snippets from amazing guests like Rachel, where we talked about intensive care, Tammy, we talked about bullying and harassment, Lauren, who where we talked about wealth and mindset. Hannah talked about mindset and self-empowerment and Elena talked about self-compassion and burnout and how we really need to get to know ourselves. I know that there's going to be lots of wisdom shared in this episode because I personally went through and picked all of these little segments and I hope that they mean as much to you as they do to me. And uh, yeah, without further ado, let's dive in. Enjoy this episode and please please, please, please let me know if there's anything you'd like to know, uh, listen to on the podcast. I just am so grateful to have this platform and that you keep coming back for more. So thank you. Let's dive in and relearn from our five top podcasts from 2021. First up is Rachel Longhurst. She is a phenomenal intensive care nurse educator amongst many other things. Beautiful human and she talks all things intensive care, what it's like to work in intensive care and how you can maybe find yourself on that career path and how to go about it. So enjoy the snippets from this episode. In terms of high performance nursing, what would that look like in the intensive care environment?
1: Look, To really just break it down, and we've had many discussions about this, you and I, and certainly within our unit, within our leadership team, about that. And to me, it's actually about nurses performing to the full gamut of what's identified in our professional codes and our professional standards documents. So it's not just about coming into work and showing up and doing the job at the bedside. It's about realising that you are a clinical leader even if you're not team leading, you are still a clinical leader as a registered nurse, that teaching students is part of your responsibility, that contributing to quality improvement and making things better, not just for your patient today, but for all the patients you'll look after in the future is a really important part of your job. Utilising evidence based practice, going to the research, being involved in policy and procedure to make sure that we're delivering the best care that we possibly can. To me, that is what high performance nursing has its roots in. We've done some work within our leadership team in the ICU around understanding our values, and it was actually a really powerful experience for everyone to sit in the room and talk about what their values were, not just so that we all all know that, but to realise why sometimes you and your manager might have a disagreement about something. Uh, And it's not necessarily because you, you don't care about the same things. It's because you're coming at it from a slightly different angle or a slightly different value set. And I think that's really changed the way we, we work within our team. Mm. We can see, you know, I know that that person really values uh, X, Y, and Z, whereas I value A, B, and C. So, yeah, there's a potential clash there. How do we get around that? We want the same thing.
0: I'd like to segue into what the ideal ICU nurse might look like because we have lots of aspiring ICU nurses within the high-performance nursing community and it is an amazing career path to take but it doesn't suit everybody. And as much as I loved being an ICU nurse, I also love not being an ICU nurse Mm. anymore because it does take its toll and and we'll unpack that a little bit as we move through. But what does the ideal ICU nurse look like?
1: Look, it is an interesting question and something I've been thinking about a lot this week because we have actually been interviewing for our transition program for 2021. But I think, you know, we like people to have an interest in uh, attention to detail. We're all a little bit anal retentive down in the ICU. We're all very controlling and we like to manage things. Uh, so if that doesn't fit your personality, you're probably better suited to the emergency department. Uh, <laughs> <meow>. <laughs> no, I love
0: my emergency department. Yeah, we do love ET. You're just messy with your wires.
1: <laughs> you just need to untie those lines. I actually really enjoyed my time in the emergency department brief, though it, it was I have a lot of respect for my ED colleagues. We love you. <laughs> but attention to detail is is super important in the ICU. You know, when you're a new ICU nurse, we don't expect you to have all of the knowledge and skills. We will work with you to, to build those. But what we need is people who can think critically about things, uh, who can look at the big picture. Uh, who can conduct really good assessments. But again, we can we can work with people to build those clinical skills. It's, it's probably the non-technical skills that are a little bit harder to teach. So people who can communicate, people who are self-aware, uh, people with resilience. I think resilience is a big thing in the ICU. And when we bring people in knowing that we're going to put them in situations that are going to impact them sometimes for a really long time to come. So you have to be able to to find ways to manage that. And it helps if you've got those in place before you come into ICU. Critical thinking, yeah, I can't emphasise that one enough. You have to be able to to think about the big things, the small things, put it all together. The ability to to predict, the ability to prioritise, the ability to manage a deteriorating patient are all kind of those key things that we're we're looking for. Uh, I think interest. So you know, if you want to come to ICU, start working on, on things that are pushing you towards that. I personally look at what people have done in the last twelve months in terms of education, whether they're new or whether they're ongoing staff, because it tells me how self motivated they are. It tells me whether they're individuals that are likely to keep to keep growing, uh, and they're the types of people that that we want to employ. People who are keen to to build on their knowledge and skills, to keep refreshing their knowledge and skills,
0: to be engaged with what's happening within the unit. I'm so grateful for all of your time. I have one final question for you around the fact that we are trying to create this culture of nurses empowering nurses. And it sounds like you have got a great environment in the workplace and you've really established this great team where nurses do empower nurses. And moving away from that old, you know, nurses eat the young to how can we empower nurses of the future and maybe the listeners here what can they take away and implement in the workplace do you have any words of wisdom around how, how you might do that or how they could do that in the work look I, I think it's
1: about investment and I talked about this before that somebody invested in me and it's really contributed to the fact that I want to go out and now do that with other people and I've seen this with our transitional staff that have come through over the years and they get a lot of time and energy invested in them but they come out the other side and they're really excited to make that investment in the next lot of people that are coming in under them the students that come in uh, because they've had so much dedicated to them they're super keen to then pass that on and to be in a position where they've got the knowledge and skills to share that Uh, with the people coming through. So I think any investment that you make in an engaged person will get paid for in multiples. And that is a fundamental part of changing our culture, is, you know, not eating our young, uh, but actually realising that people coming through are our colleagues. They are the people who are going to replace us when we retire. Uh, And I know that I certainly, as an elderly person laying in a hospital bed potentially, want somebody with that level of skill looking after me and, you know, keeping that all to myself. That doesn't help the next people coming through. It doesn't help our patients. certainly doesn't help our future patients. So moving away from that notion of, well, you know, that's the way things were when I was young. That's how I was trained to, well, that's, that's okay. That's how it was. And there are some good things about that model and some not so good things about that model. But we know that in today's world that, good culture does wonders that having supportive managers supportive educators supportive team around us uh, makes us want to be at work makes us feel part of a team makes us feel valued
0: Next up, I'd love you to meet Tammy Copley. Tammy and I spoke all things bullying, and harassment. Tammy is the founder of Nurses and Midwives Against Bullying and Harassment Australia on Facebook. Tammy and I talk about leadership, management. We talk about the original, the OG pandemic, which is bullying and harassment within healthcare, and we talk about what you can do if you find yourself in a situation where you're being bullied in the workplace. There are some amazing top tips in here. I'd love you to check them out. And hopefully, you never need to use them. But if you do, Tammy has all the insights you need to overcome it.
2: I guess over the years, a lot of people said to me, you are a natural leader. And I couldn't see that. Like people said that to me for a couple of decades. And I'm like, but I don't see that. I don't get that. And I kept saying to them, I'm just me. And I still say that today. I'm just me, you know. (laughs) But I guess it was when I had that Management experience that I went, now I get it. Mm-hmm. Now I get it because then I left management, went back into the clinical arena, and I think it was back in the clinical arena that I went, aha, uh-huh, got it, mm-hmm. I'm a leader. Mm-hmm. So people in my personal life, people in my professional life kept saying, you're a leader. When I did my master's in nursing leadership, we looked at the difference between nurses that are leaders and nurses that are managers and quite often you don't get both in one person you're either a manager or you're a leader you could be both or you can be neither
3: mm-hmm. you
2: know and it, just because you're a manager does not make you a leader just because you have got a particular title we call them nursing leaders but they're not necessarily nursing leaders. Mm. So I guess, you know, my personal and professional experience I've finally come to realise <laughs> in this later stage of my life, oh, okay, I am actually
0: a leader. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because as you were just starting off that, that section there, I'm thinking you're a leader, not a manager. and I, I relate to that because I also have been in management positions and I struggle with the management side of it because I can do it. But like yourself, maybe you know there's a, an element of pushing the boundaries or advocating on behalf of the patients and the staff, which for me is critical. And if I can't do that within my leadership role, then I don't really want to be a manager. And that's kind of where I find myself. It sounds like you might have had quite a similar experience. Well,
2: look, I, I can give you an example from from a couple of the management positions I've had, one of those was a hospital that I had actually trained, done done some of my nursing training in because, of course, I've done a lot of training over the years. (laughs) But this particular place that I had trained in, I went back 20 years later not as the person learning but as the manager. And I was going back to manage people who were still there 20 years later. I was their subordinate and now I'm their manager. Mm. And I... I did implement quite a lot of things when I first started, as most managers do. They come in with all these great ideas of what they want to do. But the things I did, the staff came to me, and it really, I can't tell you how it affected my heart. Like, you know, that sense of, like, what? They came to me as a group and said, Nobody has cared for us in 20 years. Wow. And I, I said, I beg your pardon. Mm. And they repeated it and I asked what, like, what did they mean? Like, how did they mean that? And they said, well, and you know those big boxes that you get and you fold them into pigeonholes? They're just cardboard, right?
3: Mm.
2: So that was one thing. They said, oh, you've got us pigeonholes for our internal mail. And I said, I beg your pardon? (laughs) I I said, it's a piece of cardboard. And they said, but we've asked for that for a very, very long time. We weren't allowed to have that. How come you got that so quick? Because I got it for them in the same day, like mm. within hours really. And I said, how did you do that? And I said, I walked down to stores with my form and said, can I please have this? I brought it straight back up to the water, put it together while they were working and had it there. And I had up a humour board for them and I had... Like We called it a warm fuzzies bag back then where you could anonymously put encouraging notes into each other's little bag and, and you could come along every so often and have, oh, wow, some thinks that oh, I've done a great job in this or whatever. The sisters were really quite strict and they ruled with an iron fist. But I don't remember bullying being as bad then as it is now and it's taken on a whole new meaning now. And lots of different things are used as bullying techniques now that never were back then. And so we've seen this growth of bullying. And and I've called bullying an epidemic for a long time. And then before COVID hit, I went, no, this is a pandemic because it doesn't matter who you speak to anywhere in the world, whether it's the UK, the US, New Zealand, wherever you, even in various places in Europe, it doesn't matter where you talk to people. The strategies of bullies all seem to be the same. There are Mm. common threads everywhere. And the more I looked into it, the more I thought, no, this is a pandemic, not an epidemic. Mm. Then COVID hit and they called it a pandemic. People started dying from COVID. And I went, yeah, it's like this rampant virus that's gone through the world and it's killing nurses and midwives too.
3: Mm.
2: And Nurses and midwives, there's research out there to show that we are four times more likely than the general population to die by suicide. And that is a frightening statistic. It's terrifying. More and more and more nurses and midwives were talking to me about their bullying experiences. And yes, I've been bullied even more recently. And it wasn't my experiences that caused me to stand up as much. It was listening to more and more people saying the same thing. Mm. I was sitting on my bed one night and for months, for many months I'd wanted to create a Facebook page. And I kept thinking, oh, I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. And, Why would I do that? And who am I to do that? You know, all the normal things that Mm -hmm. people go through, you know, that.
0: Imposter syndrome. um, Yeah, imposter
2: syndrome, definitely. And Mm -hmm. I've put stuff on the page before about imposter syndrome. And it was definitely like, well, who am I? And I'm a nurse. I'm a midwife. And then I thought, well, that's it. That's why. Because you're a nurse. Because you're a midwife. That's why. I was sitting in my bed one night, and I won't tell you exactly what I said, but I'm sitting on the bed asking myself all these questions and going, Why are you not doing this? And it came down to two particular Mm organisations. And I went, right. And I'm thinking about those two organisations and what's happened within those two organisations and why that's holding me back. And then I pictured one particular person from one of those organisations, and I won't say the words I said, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I sat on my bed basically saying, damn you. Mm -hmm. And with that, the page was born
0: what do you think is driving it? Like, what's your observation? Why do you think we've got to this point where bullying is such a problem?
2: Oh, look, I think there's a lot of factors. I think the society itself has changed. And I think, you know, there's been a societal shift that we don't have the same respect and regard for people that we used to have. And I don't just mean as nurses and midwives, but that is true as well. But it's a societal shift that, that we've seen. We're seeing less relationships and we're seeing more like kpis I think we need to get rid of kpis since kpis came in patient care has deteriorated you know because it's all about the mighty dollar we don't have a healthcare system driven by healthcare we have a healthcare system driven by the dollar and i get that like i get that mm. healthcare is very expensive but it's like child health nurses are trying to get rid of child health nurses you know there's a big push around the country to get rid of them well why would you do that when from antenatal care basically right through we're doing health promotion disease prevention at that young age we're less likely to have a health burden in the future and have mm. all these people in cardiac wards and and so on and so forth but instead we're spending money on tertiary instead of on prevention so we've got our health system back to front
3: mm-hmm.
2: we've also we have a worldwide shortage of nurses and midwives but yet nurses and midwives can't get jobs. What is that about? Mm-hmm. We've got ratios that are ridiculous. Look at our aged care homes. And mm-hmm. I'm very passionate about our aged care homes and how people are being treated. And I've been very proactive in the aged care sector in doing the you know, the aged care campaigns and pushing to get to the Royal Commission and that sort of thing. We need to look at our mental health nurses. You know, where is their safety and security as well, you know, These two sectors in particular are very short-staffed. So aged care and mental health, and the two can overlap as well. We know that was dementia care and stuff. Mm. So nurses and midwives working in those areas. They're really under a huge amount of pressure and strain. Then we have, you look at midwives. They have got to do so many learning packages. It's ridiculous. There's so much medical intervention. It's insane. And you've got women wanting women-led care and that's what midwives are there for midwife means with woman Mm. if you, you look at the amount of training midwives have to do they ought to be getting some more autonomy and they need to be getting paid closer to that of an obstetrician gynaecologist quite frankly but midwives are being dumbed down as well it doesn't matter what sector you work in it is getting worse and worse so i think the other thing too is the career structure I was living in the UK in 1991 when the career structure, certainly the one in Queensland anyway, started. It's one of the worst things we ever did. When I came back, people who were friends before were now enemies because, oh, you got a level two position and oh, I have to stay as a level one. And So we've got this competitive career structure and we've got too many people at the top. It is top heavy. Mm. When I trained, we had one matron and we had one deputy matron for the hospital. Now we've got like the executive director of nursing and midwifery services that might be one person but under her you don't have one person you've got four five or six or however many you know and it's very top heavy and it's dog eat dog to get to the top so that's another problem We used to say that most bullying came from the medical profession and it did years ago. The majority of it was from the medical profession because they saw us as their handmaidens. They didn't see us as being professionals. They didn't see us being a valuable part of the team. Now it's mostly top-down. It's also horizontal because, you know, we know about horizontal violence. Mm -hmm. We used to have the saying many years ago, nurses eat their young. We still have that saying, but I think it's outdated and it's ageist. It's very ageist. It's saying only the older nurses and midwives eat the younger ones. That's garbage. That term needs to go. It's yeah. outdated. It's ageist. It's discriminatory. Mm. What we need to be doing is calling it what it is. Nurses and midwives bully each other. Mm. Or nurses and midwives bully nurses and midwives because that's what it is. Mm. There's a term that's been put out that because nurses eat the young, Therefore, we're cannibalistic, which some people go, yeah, that's what it is. We eat each other. And other people go, no, that's an offensive term. That's not professional. I believe let's step away from that and let's just call it what it is. Nurses and midwives bully each other. Yeah. You know, let's just call it for what it is.
0: What would be your kind of top tips for someone that is being bullied in the workplace? What should they be doing?
2: Okay, so document every shift. Reflection is really important. When I first started nursing, we weren't taught about reflection, but we seem to somehow naturally do it, whereas reflection is being taught in universities these days, and I think that's good because some people don't naturally reflect. But I think the majority of us do because we take it home. We, we try not to, but we'll be driving home going, oh, my gosh, I forgot such and such. Sure. Mm-hmm. I know I rang work at 2 a.m. one morning and said, oh, my gosh, I forgot to put a cup of water on so and so, still a chart. Would you please? please do that. And she laughed and she said, can you just go to sleep? It's fine. <laughs> I know, you know, so we were all guilty of that. You know, we're driving home or we're in bed or we're in the shower and go, Oh my gosh. Or you're just thinking about a patient, you know, because you wonder how they're going or, you know, whatever it is, we, we take it home with us. So nurses are bad at leaving work at work and we do have, 24-hour continuum for, for most places we work. I mean in my current job I'm a case manager so I don't have anyone to take over if I don't do it but the majority of nurses and midwives we do and, and mm. you know, I've been in that situation for a lot of my career where you do have someone else to take over so if we can somehow try to leave that stuff at the door so that we're not taking it with us but having said that if you feel that you've been treated unfairly or you're sensing that something's not right, you need to document every single thing in that shift that you can possibly remember. And I tell people to have more than one copy because if your computer crashes, you want to have it on your USB or, or a separate hard drive. If you do have a written copy, great. Keep even the notes. Take a notepad in your, in your pocket at work. Start drawing it down mm. so that you don't forget it, you know, and, and if there's a, a witness there, write down, Liam Caswell was there, it was this time, this date, it was near the lift. If you don't think you're getting help from your union and a lot of our members have felt very let down by their union, it doesn't matter what state they're in, then you push that union. You push them and push them and push them. Even do some research of your own. Follow a counsellor, Like get a counselor as soon as you can I don't recommend the employee assistance support. The reason I don't recommend that is it's actually in-house. That You know, your employer pays for that. And I've spoken to too many nurses and midwives where there's been a direct breach of confidentiality, mm-hmm. but not that they can prove it. Mm-hmm. So I say leave that as your last resort, but it is a resort. It is someone that you can speak to.
0: The other thing I wanted to talk to you about and ask you, it was sometimes people find it challenging within the workplace to talk about bullying or bring it up with the manager, with the senior management team, and even with HR. Because often there's a very close relationship between nursing management and HR. And that's really hard because sometimes you feel like, well, where do I go? Because I know that if I go straight to HR, it's probably going to end up on somebody's desk um, without my consent. Yes,
2: Um, absolutely. I think you need to realise that HR is not there for the employee. The HR are employed by the employer to protect the employer. As far as employees are concerned, HR still need to guide us in what are the policies and procedures, you know, what's our rights under the award, et etc. Et or to at least interpret the award. The union or the association is more likely to tell you what your rights are under the award and push for them. So HR is really not there to protect you. They're there to alert you to policies and procedures in the award, but they're there to protect the employer. So they're not your friend. HR is not your friend. Work mm-hmm. cover is not your friend either because work cover. Is the employer's insurance to make sure that we try and fix that employee who's been injured. So work cover works really well for people with a physical injury, but when it comes to psychological injury, the vast majority are thrown out. Because what work cover do is they will ring your employer. So you put in a psychological injury claim, they actually ring your employer to see if that psychological injury actually happened. Well, guess what your employer's gonna say? <laughs> Oh no, that stuff didn't happen. Oh no. And there's this, 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 this. And then work cover going, nah. Mm. So the vast majority of people get nowhere. And this is why we want to challenge work cover and, and all of these laws. There's a lot of stuff that we really want to be challenging. Mm. Like, why are APRA, the unions and the employers not seeing these threads within bullying? So, yeah, HR isn't your friend. They're there to get information from. That's about it. Who do you report to? Who knows? If you notice that there's something happening at work as far as physical safety goes, you've got a workplace health and safety representative and you can go and they can take it to the Workplace Health and Safety Committee, to the Workplace Health and Safety Officer. They can serve the employer with a PIN notice, which means there's something they must attend to within, I think it's three or five days or something like that. But when it comes to bullying, there's no one. And it's been suggested that Workplace Health and Safety representatives should take on the bullying role, and I have kicked and screamed about that and said no because they're not equipped to do that. But I'm being told, oh, but, you know, they're guided by legislation. They've got legislation guiding them. How many workplace health and safety representatives are sat on by their employers not to report workplace health and safety matters or to brush them under the carpet? And then someone comes along with bullying that then no one, no one wants to talk about bullying. It's even worse than physical injury in the workplace. So we need a commissioner regarding workplace health and safety. I've asked for a royal commission. I've said this is what we need. We need research.
0: Next up, I interviewed the amazing Lauren Bell. Lauren is a wealth and mindset mentor, and she uses lots of different healing modalities to help heart centered professionals achieve their fullest potential. Lauren and I talk about wealth, the accumulation of wealth, and talk about the power of coaching and how investing in yourself is the best return on investment you will ever make. Enjoy. I talk about being a multi-passionate clinician you've got lots of different things that light you up so follow them pursue them and realize that nursing does not have to just be that job that you work you know seven till three thirty or you do your night shifts and you've got to take those extra shifts there because that's your main income source start building you know different streams of income and explore that for yourself because the world's your oyster right
4: yeah totally and i think you're exactly right you need to be following your passion and there's been times in my nursing career that i was definitely very passionate you know when i first went into renal and you know i studied a postgrad in renal and so that was you know immersed myself in all of that and then when i swapped over and did anesthetics and recovery and i guess that's the truth for me i'm a lifelong learner and i'll keep exploring different ways but it, I have to be passionate about it. I got to a point where it was like I'm not going to another renal conference or even an anaesthetic conference because it's just the same thing. Like So we're continually reinventing ourselves, I think, in some ways. But following your heart, following your passion, and now, of course, I look back and I can see how everything, mm. is, the, the dots, you know, has been joined up. And um, I only heard this quote again today. Um, Bill Gates I think that you know you can't you can see your life in retrospect you can see how the dots join I'm really butchering this quote but anyway (laughs) (laughs) but it's like you can look in hindsight and you can see how I did that and that led to this or when I'd studied this why later on when I was teaching and teaching workshops, how that led to it, you know, and Mm -hmm. then I actually had a, a role in education as well and was teaching, you know, ALS and other parts, which then gave me more credibility when I started teaching sort of more holistic work because I felt like, well, hang on, I've done the sort of the academic sort of side, the nursing clinical side, and I've also done these more holistic therapy sides. I can do anything. I really, so yeah, a lot of it's just been that confidence to follow my passion and actually see how it can align up and, and the more that that, the more that I allow that and open into it, you know, the more opportunities are coming and it's, it's exciting. Basically wealth is a metaphor for for what's going on in our life. And when we use wealth to look at what's going on, it actually shows us our limiting beliefs, our self-doubts, perhaps traumas or things that have happened in the past that are actually impacting how we're performing in current day. So, you know, our current worth, is really reflected in our world around us so you know where you're living um how hard you're working whether or not you give yourself any time off whether you just keep soldiering on you know how your self-care is all of those things are actually part of your worth and what i've noticed with many nurses is they measure their self-worth by what they do and so my work is very much about Recognize how valuable you are how unique you are and how amazing you are and just the fact that you're a human being for a start but the fact that also that you're you know heart-centered and caring like that's such an amazing gift that a lot of people in the world actually don't even have that Mm. but as a nurse most people don't even recognize that that's anything and they so what you were saying they don't recognize the value of themselves and And I think that really reflects. And, you know, you hear things like people say, oh, I'm just a nurse or I'm, you know, just a a mother or I'm just a housewife or I'm just a teacher or often it's those roles where we're really caring for others that we don't even see the value in that. But then the opposite part of that is that they're also measuring their worth by what they do instead of just having that innate awareness and value of self anyway. Once it becomes conscious, well, then it's, it's conscious like we can't hide it anymore so it can become a choice so we can start to see some of our limiting beliefs and things that we're just we've just adopted a lot of these beliefs because of you know our family of origin or certain situations or things that we've made mean about ourselves as human beings we are meaning making machines that's how we sort of work out who we are and how we are in the world so we're always making things mean so you know someone spoke to me that way well that means she doesn't like me well Mm. is that really true or (laughs) was she thinking about something else or did she just have a fight with her partner or whatever you know it's we make it all up about us because we can only come from our own experience so starting to do the own inner work. So I use EFT as a tool for tapping Mm -hmm. because what that does is it helps us to become really aware of what's going on and it gives us a way of being able to reduce the stress and feel so much calmer. And there's something about saying the words that we have going around and around on a recorder in our mind and actually speaking them out loud And especially when we're tapping as well, we're calming the nervous system and there's this validation of like, oh, my God, this is what I say. But at the same time when we release the stress around it, it just like shifts and it just shifts out of our body. That's why they call it emotional freedom. Mm -hmm. And so having a tool that allows you to look at these parts that can be confronting means that you can start to become really curious about them and not feel like you're going to go down some rabbit hole and never come out again. I think that's you need to have that safety there. That okay, I can explore this. Why did I react when when she said that or he said that? You know, why was I triggered? What's going on for me? Mm-hmm. And then when we do that work and we release that trigger, well, then next time it doesn't happen. And so the more and more work we do, the easier and easier it gets. It doesn't mean that it's not going to happen in life. There's a quote, another quote I want to I want to use, but it's something along the lines of life is pain but struggling is optional you know and it's not struggling i think it's a stronger word than that suffering suffering is optional I think a lot of high performing people have a really strong inner critic, you know, in fact it's been documented mm-hmm. and a lot of it is about perfectionism and I didn't recognise myself as a perfectionist, but I knew that I had high ideals, you know, which is now I see it as a form of perfectionism. But I just wanted to achieve so much, you know, in my nursing career and how I was going to, you know, change this and fix that and and when I was starting to recognize that actually I wasn't achieving that that's when I went into burnout because I started to get really demotivated and you know disillusioned and I was putting so much pressure on myself and every every part of my life was suffering you know my relationships at work I wasn't speaking up and sharing what was going on I was coming home and being you know intolerant with my kids and And, you know, I hated that. And so then I was judging myself because I felt like I was failing in every part of my life. And yet so much of it was this inner critic and this high standard that I really was holding myself to that I probably hold other people to in some ways. That's often the case when we have a strong inner critic. We do have high standards that we apply to others, but we can be so cruel and often we will be more kind to others than we will be ourselves. Mm. Like we don't ever let ourselves off the hook. You know, you should have known better, you should have done it sooner, you know. And we never celebrate. One of the things in my coaching, the wealth coaching, is about celebrate every single step of progress because usually we finish something and we either just move on, don't, don't even acknowledge it, or we criticize it and say, well, I should have finished it sooner, or I should have done more preparation, or whatever it is. Or we just go, oh, my God, there's more, like, I can't celebrate. There's just too many mm-hmm. things to do. And we're just, you know, tick, 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 do, 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 and just keep going.
0: What was in my circle of influence? What can I influence within, you know, myself, day-to-day? And then looking in that circle of concern and going, that is external to me. It's, I can't do anything about that. Yeah. Um, and one thing that comes to mind, just to give people kind of context, listening is, when I was a nurse manager, and I'm sure, Lauren, you have lots of stories like this, I was like verbally confronted by a relative for about two hours in in a kind of ad hoc meeting. And it was fascinating because it was the first time that I had done the work. Uh, I was sitting there and Liam, you know, two years ago would have been in reactive mode, protecting my 50 staff because they worked bloody hard. But I sat there, I listened, I leaned in, I got curious. And did not take on the burden. And like you say, you feel like a phoenix. It, it's transformational, it's empowering. Yeah. Because yeah. it does not serve me to sit there for two hours seething that this person is, you know, ripping my ward apart and my team. In fact, I just found the opportunities for change. Um, and it, it's really, really transformative. It's so empowering. Yeah. It's yeah. such an empowering process. I guess that's the power of coaching right? That's a power of coaching. And I think we both agree on this point that there's a huge gap in in nursing around coaching uh, and mentorship and just proactive clinical supervision. Uh, we've talked about this a few times on the podcast. Uh, what do you think are some of the barriers for coaching within the nursing workforce? Why do you think we're not doing it?
4: Yeah, it's interesting, really, because, you know, in counselling and psychology and those places, they have supervision. I mean, that's a mandatory uh, thing that, that we need to do. And yet it would be so good. I mean, even that debriefing type of thing that I said um, that we experienced when I was doing counselling in the school at the end of the day to finish off. I, you know, imagine if we could have a, 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 that part of our work day. But the truth is we're so behind we're so short staffed that, you know, people are working back. I mean, no one's gonna want to stay any longer. Mm. But if that was all factored in as part of our care, I think that would be just an amazing thing. I just I don't know why it's never been done, that mentorship I mean, in terms of coaching, I mean, coaching is a relatively new in Australia. You know, it hasn't been adopted as much as certainly like in the States where they've been seeking therapy for, you know, mm. decades. And so coaching was a progression because – to, do, to be better at anything, we do better with a coach. You know, just like if you want to be better at tennis, you go and have a tennis coach. I mean, Roger Federer still has a tennis coach because they see the blind spots. And the idea of a coach is to move you forward towards your dreams and help you to get there sort of so much more quickly. And it's about you doing your own work still. They're just asking their questions and helping you to see things that you haven't seen before that, raising consciousness that we Mm. talked about.
3: Mm.
4: So I don't know why we haven't been doing it, but I think that's a big gap and certainly for people's well-being, for nurses' well-being, for improving the standards in the industry about our self-care and certainly cultures and things like that, I think, you know, that's a big area that could be really brought in and worked on. Before this idea of having to work so many hours, the only way you can get ahead as a nurse if you want to get more money is to do another shift. And they're already exhausted. They're already working overtime. So to do that just is not sustainable. And nurses are leaving. They're leaving to go and do well, at the moment, a lot of them are doing vaccinations and uh, swabbing and, you know, injectable cosmetics because there's more money in it. And I think you said it earlier mm. before we talked about how wealth for nurses, but a lot of nurses don't identify with wanting to earn more. They say that it's not part of the why they chose, and I totally agree with that. But I still think we really are wanting to have more, to be paid more, to be more recognised by how much money we earn. And the truth is really I think most people do want to earn more money, but we feel guilty about mm. I earn more, well, you know, who's missing out or someone else hasn't got it or that's not what really, I'm not really driven by, by that. But it's more about understanding what money does for you, which is usually some sort of freedom. You know, maybe you can spend more time with the family. Maybe you could get a cleaning lady mm. into or oh man into um you know, clean your house or cook a meal or whatever it is to free up some of your time so that you can spend your time more wisely in that work-life balance, or or take yourself for a holiday. I mean, it's <laughs> a bit hard at the moment, What's that, but <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> by investing in a coach, you actually can then earn more money. Like, mm. so you get a return on investment. So so many people do my program i've got a it's called reimagine your wealth and it is all about being able to allow attract and enjoy your wealth more rather than feeling guilty about it and people then will go for jobs that they hadn't thought of before or it just allows money to come in in different ways because we get very caught up in the only way that we can earn money is by doing it this way and when i left and started doing uh my counseling degree i ended up changing the way that i worked and i ended up tripling my nursing income and i work a lot less now and i'm very very careful to value where i work and how much i work for and you know if i go to a place and and i don't like the culture i don't like the way that they treat their staff i say no i'm not going there so Mm. And I think, you know, I I look at other people who've lost even evening shift allowances and it makes me really angry. But that's because they're not valuing themselves and recognising that the workplace needs them. It's actually for both. It's not just needing. We have the power. Yeah it's not just the nurses needing the jobs and so you know they bring in an enterprise bargaining agreement and they say oh well there's no evening shift allowance or we're pushing the start time the uh, start time of the evening shift allowance back and the nurses have signed off on it because they haven't felt empowered enough to stick together and say no we're actually not going to accept this you know i'd rather leave there's that much work out there for nurses i would rather leave if you're not going to honor this I mean it costs fifty thousand dollars or so to recruit a new nurse Mm -hmm. i think that they might just continue to pay an evening shift allowance of thirty dollars per shift or whatever it is for the nurses that have got that they've got there and what about paying some money for retaining the nurses that they've got you know some Mm -hmm. of those types of things i think it does come it really does for me i'm very passionate about us seeing our value so and then and then commanding it commanding that value commanding that respect and feeling more confident about it and that's the Mm. work
0: that I do so in terms of um just to wrap up I wanted to ask you are there a couple of little steps or a couple of little tips that you could kind of share for people that are listening to kind of um you know focus on building their wealth is there anything that nurses could be doing or exploring
4: Well, I do think, and and through my chapter as well, I talk a lot about It Starts With Me. So it's all about doing the inner work because you do the inner work and then you end up being so much more self-compassionate, self-kind, self-aware. You share that outwards to others. And so you feel so much better about yourself and you're actually doing a much better job. And then, you know, you can go and go for a job, uh, another opportunity, or, you know, if you have got an interest in your own business, you know, you might take take mm-hmm. that up. It doesn't matter. But basically what you're doing is you're really self-appreciating who you are and in that appreciation you can be fully expressed and that actually makes you really happy. So mm-hmm. the benefits of doing that inner work are things like improved wealth, improved happiness feeling like your work is purposeful uh better relationships and i can't think of my other one there is one more <laughs> um but there's yeah there's, i mean and there's more obviously there's more but um they were all the things that i noticed like you know yeah suddenly you've got all of this going on I am it's interesting but on reflection so joining the dots I really can see how I've always been guided and so what I need to keep relearning is really just keeping to do the I'm going to say inner work but what I mean more at the moment is having that time for self like meditation journaling and connecting with my higher wisdom that actually does flow. I've only just recognized that so much more in recent times and I am always being guided. So if I follow my heart, my passion, it's amazing what shows up. When I'm doing things that I don't really want to but I think I should, I get so drained. And so it, it my body and this alignment and these feelings that I have within myself is telling me all the time. So, that's what I need to just keep going there and building that as a strength and and that so that alignment.
0: Next, I spoke with Hannah Sawyer, who is the Breakthrough Nurse. She is all over all the platforms online and she is an amazing mindset and empowerment coach. Hannah helps you find your inner queen and helps you empower your mindset so you can do Pretty much whatever the hell you want in your life without all of that mind drama. Hannah and I talk about imposter syndrome, that no one is coming to help you. We talk about the internal shifts. We talk about when I and then I and how that's holding you back. And we talk about how you can become, in Hannah's words, unfuckwithable. Enjoy.
5: I got there and it was like this slap in the face moment because I got to the ward. I was, you know, all of a sudden I had the responsibility to look after these people Mm -hmm. and all of my stuff came up, my like tenfold, like louder than it ever was before. Like Mm -hmm. my worthiness stuff, my not feeling good enough, like imposter syndrome massively. And I was just like, holy shit, can I actually do this? Like, and I was so bad that I couldn't like even look people in the eye properly when I was speaking to them like I just felt so so anxious and Mm -hmm. I really from that point was like I need to do something about this and I was always kind of hesitant being like the independent I was like no I've just got to push through I've just got to push through like I'm not going to get help I don't need help Who... <laughs> you know I don't this. need no
0: help here yeah
5: don't need no man don't need no help <laughs> um independent woman but I got to the point where I was like I need to do something about this because I was going home and all I was thinking about was did I do this right did I does this person think this of me or what if I said this wrong and they took that like just over overthinking absolutely everything. And obviously that affected my, my work, my relationships, with my colleagues, like, and had no boundaries whatsoever. So anyway, I went on this massive journey and tried all these different things. I started to like dabble in the world of personal development. And I learned that, like, I was holding all this fear. I was like holding myself back. And then I came across this amazing coach. Um, and she really helped me. And a little part that I have skipped out there is that I actually started a business um, when I started my grad program, which is cray cray, right? But I don't know why I did, but I felt called
0: to. (laughs) I love
5: that. (laughs) Yeah. So it was actually the catalyst of wanting to grow and build something and being in this environment where I felt so out of my depth that really forced me to do the inner work and forced me to look inward. So um, I went to this lady and I went there because I was like, well, I want to grow my business and I want to feel confident. I want to feel worthy. And what happened there has like literally changed my path forever. And I'm so grateful because we, she was an NLP coach. She was timeline therapy trained. And uh, we just went into this old guilt, all this old shame, all these limiting beliefs. Like I can't do the things and just oh, so much stuff. So after we broke through that, I really, stepped into this space and of course it's such a journey not a destination still on that journey Um, but really stepped into this space where I was like okay I can do the things and I can I can be confident and I had this story of like I'm shy I'm shy I'm shy because I've been told that from like being a a little girl you know being empathic and being quite introverted Um, even my parents were like she's just shy like when I didn't say hi to their friends or whatever So that was actually embedded in my unconscious mind. And once I got rid of that, I was like, no, like I'm a badass. I can do the things and like really felt my own power. And this is what I love to like bottle up. And I wish I could give to women, but like, unfortunately, just got to go on your own journey, but I'm totally here for it. And Mm -hmm. to hold the space, but that feeling is the best feeling in the world and just really stepping into my power. So After that, I showed up so differently at work and I felt like, okay, like whatever challenge comes my way, I can deal with this today. I've got this, like I can ask for help. I can communicate. I can set my boundaries. And so it really just shifted. Like when I shifted internally, it shifted everything externally around me. Really, when you start to say no, it's it's all about tuning in and being like, okay, this doesn't feel right for me. So I'm going to honor that and it doesn't matter what other people think. And yes, it does take work to get to that place to not give a fuck what other people Mm. think. But honestly, I can tell you it's the best space to be in because it feels so aligned and it doesn't mean that you're a shit nurse. It means that you've got boundaries Mm. and if someone makes you feel bad for not doing something that you don't want to do, then they're not on your wavelength sister. They're like, they're, you know, they're looking out for their own interests and, that's okay but you've got to look out for yours
0: definitely and it's a reflection of them not Absolute.
5: you. absolutely oh yes yeah it's so a reflection of so. them
0: not you and often when people have these emotional reactions this has taken me 10 years to get to the crux of this and understand it and apply it in my own life but these people that are reacting that are maybe making you feel bad about not taking an extra shift they're suffering
4: Yeah. They are suffering.
0: Those people are suffering um, and they probably need to do the inner work and they have, pretty low consciousness they're just operating fully you know in that fight or flight stress anxiety mode and they're not digging deep and that sometimes can make you feel a little distant to people i've found Mm. that i've found that not saying that i'm more elite but you know we're not more elite we've just done the work and we've gone on we've we've made a choice because ultimately it's a choice right it's a choice to either take that step and do it or just to stay where you are which is comfortable you know, exactly. choose courage over comfort, take the step, do the work so that you can become your highest version of yourself. It's transformational, exactly. absolutely.
5: And I love what you said there, like that's their stuff. And they're like that is such a massive thing in healthcare because you get so many personalities. And like you were saying, a lot of people haven't done the work. So what they're doing is they're reacting from this unconscious belief they've had. And if you think about like your own journey and your own life and everything you've been through up until this point, And you think about, you know, how, um, it takes energy and, and, um, work to change. And if you think about that, like you, you can only do that for you. You can't do that for someone else. So if you think about their life and all their pains and their struggles, and they haven't worked through them, literally, It's like a big projector that they're projecting Mm. that out into the world. That's the way they see the world. And if you don't fit into that, then, yes, you're going to trigger them. Does that mean that you should uh, abandon yourself to fit into their mould? No. It's just a really good, like, I love that you brought that up because it's such a good um, awareness to have. Like, okay, well, Mm. that's just their stuff there, you know, and it it allows us to move away from taking everything so personally, Mm. step back. And I will also say when... Well, When a human being is placed under pressure, they revert back to those very deep behaviours.
0: And they talk about uh, managing our thought processes. And of course, there's lots of things through NLP that we can do, but she effectively breaks it down and talks about the fact that um, there are five things that kind of ultimately kind of change your whole kind of mindset. Um, there's a circumstance So like a nurse talks to you badly. Uh, Now, what do we do with that circumstance? We usually assign a thought to it um, and we have a thought. And then in that moment, we, we attach a feeling to it. And the feeling that we assign to it impacts our action that we take, and the action leads to the the, the results. So, if we just get caught up in that narrative whereby we, you know, the situation, the circumstance happens and we react poorly, um, and we create this inner narrative like, I'm not good enough, that's about me, I haven't succeeded, oh my goodness, I did the wrong thing. Then we're going to behave that way, and our yeah. results are going to be dictated by our thought process. It's just fascinating to me the way that the mind works and the power that it has over us. We all yeah. have a choice to to change that. It's hard, but I guess what you're doing is in the moment teaching people how to do that real time.
5: Mm, absolutely, and when you you I love what you said there. When you create the space between, you know that initial reaction and in your mind and the body reaction and then your reaction, Mm -hmm. then you are then starting to really change because like 80% of our reactions actually happen like from our body first to our brain. So, you know, when you're like, Maybe in a confrontation or something, you feel it in your body first. Mm. You're like, "Oh shit!" Like, and then <laughs> you know, and then you you have the the thought patterns, like you said, you mm. assign the story to it, and whatever story you're deeply unconsciously running will actually come through in all your interactions. So, say like, um, you know, you don't feel good enough. If you're walking down the corridor and like a family member or a visitor like looks at you sideways and like just you know glances at you. If you're running this story of I'm not good enough, like, you'd be like, oh my God, is my hair out of place? Do I look crap today? Are they looking at me because mm. something's like wrong with me? You know, And so they're just looking sideways and then like you've just created this story. So like the reason you're, you've got the results you have or your life is the way it is, is because of the stories that you're running and the stories that you tell yourself.
0: I love one thing that you um, talk about uh, and that is that no one is coming to save you. Yeah, uh, and that uh, spoke yeah. to me. I actually got goosebumps when I read Ooh. that because <laughs> truth uh,
5: bumps. <laughs> yeah,
0: truth bumps love that because it's so true. I myself have sat here waiting for that knock on the door, you know, from the CEO that's going to hire me as the best nurse unit manager in the country. It hasn't happened yet, <laughs> yeah. you know. But we tell we tell ourselves that story that somebody's coming for us. And we'll just wait until the next opportunity or the next person. So talk to us a little bit about that.
5: Yeah, I love this. So I too went through my own journey of this and I was like, you know, waiting for that person, that thing, that event that was going to change everything for me and then life will get better. And so often we're like, oh, well, when I get this new job, then I will feel worthy. When I get this new car, when I get, you know oh my partner's not making me feel good right now so you know when i get a new partner then i'll be happy. like we just pour our um happiness into everything external but really the only way to be empowered is to be like 100 responsible for your own energy for your own being and from this space although it sounds scary so like being absolutely responsible for all the results in your life you're like well Hannah like there's some shit going down right now but it's about really like I know it can feel overwhelming but it's about coming back to you and being like well when I am responsible even if something's bad then I actually have the power to do something about it. I have the power to change it whereas when we're like outsourcing and we're at the the effect of life like and we're like oh well that person did this to me when I was younger and so that's just now how I am we're actually completely giving our power away and like I'm so passionate about people being in their power because I know what happens from that space and you are like unfuck withable when you're Mm. in your aligned power but when you're not you are like kind of um just swaying with the wind like you're just letting life happen to you but life is happening for you like everything Mm. in your life and I love this quote so much, like your mess will become your message. Like every shit thing that happened in my life, I look back on with so much gratitude now because I'm like, I had to go through that because it created me to be this person now. And now I get to help others go through that. So like there is a, a purpose to all the things that have you know uh, transpired in your life, but it's about finding that and really, getting to that space where you are so comfortable and good with you that you are like cool I've got this and I'm going to I'm going to do what it takes and whether that's like if your dream is to be like a nurse unit manager like mm-hmm. climb the, the corporate ladder you've got to have balls you've got to have balls or lady balls like you've got to have the grit <laughs> and you are not going to get to where you want to be if you are waiting for someone else to fucking hand it to you, because no one's coming to give you the golden ticket, you've got to go after that shit yourself. And you can absolutely do it. There's just probably a limiting belief or a story you're telling yourself or something in the way of you stepping into that.
0: I always like to ask people this one last question. And it's, what do you need to keep relearning?
5: Mm, I love that. (laughs) Um, For me, it's the possibility of what my unlimitedness is so like always expanding that horizon of what is possible because you know uh, at every new level and no matter how long you've done the inner work there will be a new layer of stuff that comes up a new glass ceiling if you like to work through so for me it's like breaking those that um you know that next layer of of the glass ceiling and always mm-hmm. being like, okay, well, actually, and really, I'm at the moment uh, working through training my brain into being open to all possibilities and knowing anything is possible. Because I've found when I'm in that state, things that are attracted or I'm attracting and manifesting come to me so much quicker and it's just crazy. And I could do a whole nother <laughs> <laughs> chat with you on manifestation, but I'm really, yeah, I think. Breaking my own glass ceiling, but also like relearning the power of what I can create and um, who I can impact.
0: Last but not least is the phenomenal Elena Mallory, the happiness. Elena and I talked about compassion, self compassion, and managing your inner critic. We talked about the five stages of burnout and how getting to know yourself is one of the best things that you can do to overcome burnout throughout your career. Elena helps us recognize that self care is uber important and that those bubble baths and spa days might not be quite fulfilling our needs. Enjoy this episode
6: i think it comes down to that compassion element like we've got to be our own best friends because that inner critic is very loud and it is it's like mm-hmm. you said you know it's like you've got two voices on each shoulder you've got to make the best friend's voice more powerful than the, the critic and I, there's an amazing coaching tool that i use and this came out uh, when the email wasn't invented, I don't know if it was invented, but when it first became popular back in the mm. late nineties and it's an acronym called Think. And if any of you follow me on social media, mm. you'll see that I share this regularly. So the way I unpack it is when that inner critic starts to really ramp up, run it through the THINK acronym, you know, is what you're saying true? Is mm, it helpful? Mm. Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And you'll usually find if, you're, if it's the inner saboteur, it's not any of them. So it's not worth listening to.
0: So I think there's a huge gap that happy nurse is, is filling in that space you know as you chip away at, at the industry and start showing people that there's actually different routes that you can take and by stepping out of the traditional nursing education path you there's I more most
6: definitely have yes
0: yeah but there's there's more there's more to um, nursing than just that three-year degree that teaches you theory and some clinical skills nowhere in that course does anybody teach you how to manage your thoughts, how to process difficult conversations, how to not how to deal with conflict. What would be your kind of take on that?
6: Oh, I completely agree, Liam. And I think, you know, with compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma, all these things on the rise, it's blatantly obvious to me that these skills are so desperately needed because we need to be able to process these traumatic events that we are witnessing on a daily basis, especially those on the front lines. It's, it's a full on job and it's an emotional drain. So mm-hmm. if we don't have the tools to process what we're witnessing, then we're going to end up with compassion fatigue or vicarious trauma. It's just, it predisposes us to it. And mm. that's why burnout is at the rate it is.
0: Mm. Mm. I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about burnout, because I know that you have done a lot of work in this space and it's primarily one of the key things that you're trying to bring to light and you're doing you know, amazing work in that space. Um, tell us a bit more about burnout and the happiness and and maybe you're, you know, your, is it your five stages of of burnouts or the happiness
6: oh yeah, my um, the journey from yes. being a happy nurse to a burnout nurse, so yeah, i when I first started teaching self care I called it back then, I call it self compassion, but when I first started kind of venturing into the happiness realm, I realized really quickly that nurses couldn 't really identify what was going on or where they were in relation to being burnt out. So I broke it down into like five stages. So we go from being well, the happy nurse where mm. we're, you know, we're engaged in our work, we're motivated, we're self-aware, we're aligned with our values, we've got that compassion for ourselves and others. And we go through five stages, which are... Um i say cruising along comes after happiness because we're we're quite happy but we're not quite feeling like we're reaching our full potential or being of contribution there's something just there's a little bit missing you know and then we come down from cruising along to overwhelm and that's when mm-hmm. things start to get on top of us and we're kind of maybe being a bit more reactive than we usually would be we may be letting that inner critic get a bit louder than it normally is you know the compassion for ourselves is starting to fade and we start to get feel like things are getting on top of us and I see that as the tipping point if we can recognise when we hit overwhelm we can avoid going to the next two stages Mm. it's key recognising where you are and a few simple strategies at the burnout stage can take you back up towards cruising along and being a happy nurse but if we don't recognise it we're heading to what I call stressed out where things are really starting to escalate where we're becoming really reactive we start to disengage we where are the inner critic is going crazy in our minds we're letting our boundaries be pushed you know we're looking for that external validation we're we're people pleasing and it just all starts to snowball and we just start to feel like we're losing control and then when we hit burnout it's just like we feel like we're not being a contribution. We we give up. You know, we're not so much give up, but we feel defeated. I think that's mm. probably a better phase. And we just were in a really kind of dark place. And you start you're doing things out of fear and guilt and obligation, and you're not doing stuff for yourself. You know, you're you're being the ultimate people pleaser, and you just can't keep going like that.
3: You mm. know, it's.
6: I've been there twice and it's a horrible place to be and I think that's why I'm so passionate about helping people avoid that trap I don't want them to go down that rabbit hole because it's not a nice place to be in
0: mm-hmm. I'm interested to hear your theory or what you, what you think kind of underlo- underpins the whole the disconnect between nurses being able to identify where they sit within the kind of burnout or the self-care, self-compassion. What do you think is kind of underlying that? I have a theory, but I'm interested to hear. yours.
6: I think burnout's a sneaky bugger and it sneaks up on us. And if we don't realise we're heading that way, we can get very close to it and then be like, oh, shit, how did I end up here? You know, and it's all got too much at that point. Mm. That's why I go on about the overwhelm stage and how it's key to recognize when you're hitting that particular stage. Mm. because That's where you can make slight changes and you can start to head back up the scale. But I also think there's a whole host of different things that go on in nursing too, you know. We we go into the profession because we, we're we compassionate people, you know, we're, we want to help others. And I think a lot of the time we maybe be, we, we want to be a contribution, you know. It's one of these mm. big drivers in life. If we're not growing and contributing, we feel like we're, we're not fulfilling ourselves and our potential. So it's all got a bit of a knock-on effect. Mm. And I think there's kind of almost a martyrdom can come into it, you know, where it's like, oh, I'll just do it myself rather than asking for help. because there's, yeah. And there's also, I think, there's beliefs out there that, It's a sign of weakness if you're feeling stressed. You know, I think as nurses, we witness the extremes of people who are suffering with mental health conditions. And we tend to compare ourselves to them and think, oh, well, I'm not as bad as them, so I can't be doing that badly. Whereas Mm -hmm. it's all relative to the individual and how you're feeling, you know, so... I think, yeah, that's why I created this tool, to help nurses Mm. almost assess where they're sitting on that scale so that they can make some changes. Mm. I think it's so important what you said, you know, Mm. understanding our values, knowing where our boundaries are, just getting to know ourselves properly Mm. Mm. is key to having a long and healthy career as a nurse because... Until you know that about yourself, you're going to get, I don't want to say pushed around, but you're going to let your boundaries get pushed and Mm. you could end up in a position that's not aligned with your values. So Mm. then you you feel like you're fighting against the grain and yeah, you just, you're not happy and fulfilled. Mm self-care, you know, often gets associated with bubble baths and day spas and all that. And I realized that very quickly when I started teaching it. And I was like, no, 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 this is not what I want to teach. You know, how can I make this more kind of relatable to my colleagues? So I broke it down into the mental, emotional, the physical, the spiritual, and the indulgent aspects of self-care. So I think it's important When I'll break each one down, you know, the mental aspect is is looking after that inner voice that's going on, like in a nutshell, there's so much more that I delve into in workshops Mm. and stuff with this but that THINK acronym is really powerful when it comes to the mental Mm. self-care the emotional self-care a quick tip is watch your boundaries, you know and even know what your boundaries are, Mm. and Realize that it's okay to say no. I think a lot of us, we feel like we can't say no, especially if we're taking extra shifts or an extra patient. or If it's going to mean we're saying no to ourselves by saying yes to someone else,
3: Mm.
6: say no, because we need to look after ourselves and our own mental health. Mm. It's so mm. important for us to be able to thrive and to be effective nurses.
0: Mm. The other thing there, just to to jump in there, the other thing that I've been learning a lot about recently is I don't know if you're familiar with Brooke Castillo. She's uh, she runs a life coach school. It's a great podcast. Okay. Uh, she's amazing, and she is uh, she's been a coach for decades in the U.S. and she teaches that. you know, everything that you come across in life is a circumstance. It is, it's just something, it's a fact, it's just there in front of you until you assign a feeling or a thought to it, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's a neutral circumstance. If you look at everything and it might sound a bit emotionally cold, but if you look at something that, you know, my manager just had a chat to me, And it was just, it was a chat. It is a neutral chat. It's not like, oh, she's pissed with me or, oh my goodness, I'm going to get pulled into the office. You then have a bit more emotional regulation because you can look at it through a different kind of lens and go, okay, she had a chat to me. Great. Yeah, Um,
6: it's the stories we associate to things that have the impact,
0: mm, not the actual mm. events themselves. Exactly. It's the inner story that, yeah, exactly. It's what we assign to it immediately rather than actually just looking at it objectively.
6: It's that subconscious filing system that's in there, you know? The history of generalization, distortion, and deletion, which (laughs) we talk about in NLP, you know? It's the process that our subconscious goes through every second of the day. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it is. It's the culmination of our life events that then assign these stories to events Mm. that are happening, and they're all related to our past. That's why I say, you know, offer yourself the same compassion you so freely give to others.
3: It's, mm.
6: We're so good, especially as nurses. I'm jumping on this army of wee, Luke, listen to me. I oh,
0: know, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Brené.
6: <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, and I know I have been guilty of it in the past and I still am sometimes. I'm human, but I, I know these things and I can call myself out on it, but... <laughs> it is offering ourselves that same level of compassion we would to our children or our partners or our patients, because we tend to be really hard on ourselves.
0: Mm. I think you raise a really valid point there. And when I think about nurses having a deeper understanding of themselves and doing their values and their, their own vision, it brings me back to organizational vision and values, because if you look really closely at every healthcare organization, vision and values ethos, it is all about the patient. Yes, it is. There's never anything in there. You could spin it and say, well, respect means respect our nurses. But there is literally very few organizations that will very clearly articulate that by having good people and investing in our people, we will have improved patient outcomes. There might be a little paragraph down the bottom, but it's not filtered into and integrated into the key kind of vision or values of the organization. And I think that there needs to be a shift there because I think that's where people can't relate. In my experience, where the staff go, well, what are these values? Where did they come from? Yeah, they might have consulted 5,000 people, but were they all in non-clinical roles that don't work on the floor? And don't capture the, the, the you know, the huge workforce that nursing is.
6: <laughs> yeah. They expect us to know the values, you know, when we go to interview, it's one mm. of the questions you get asked. Yeah. But it's whether they are willing to help us align with the values mm. or, mm. you know, I think that's a better question for interview, yep. you know. Do your personal values align with the values of our hospital? Because if there's a misalignment, then you're going to be banging your head off the wall and you're not going to feel like you're being valued or Mm. progressing in your career. What do I need to keep relearning? That's
0: interesting. Mm. What's something you know, but you need to keep telling yourself it's that
6: compassion you know it comes back to that it's it's elena remember offer yourself the same compassion that you so freely give to others like i'm guilty of not doing it too and Mm. that's not just in my nursing role that's as a mum as well you know i think mums are it's such a brutal role we can be so hard on ourselves and compare ourselves to others and Yeah. So yeah, it's that Mm. compassion. I need to Mm. keep relearning.
0: I hope you enjoyed all of those little snippets that I've curated for you. They were my favourite moments from the podcast. I mean, there were too many really for me to pick from across all 33 episodes. So if you're new to the podcast, there's over a thousand minutes of amazing content to help you thrive within your career. And if you're someone that's been here since the start, you've joined us on this journey, thank you. There is so much coming this year. I'm putting out a podcast every week to help you thrive within your career. And I realise that maybe... I've been taking it a little bit too seriously, so I'm hoping to bring a bit more joy and happiness and a little less Debbie Diner to it as I reflected back on the last year. Over the next year, I plan to share with you some personal insights and personal lessons that I've learned that I think will help you thrive not only within your career, but also within your personal life. I'm beginning to learn and realize That a lot of the growth that we have comes when we do the inner work. And I really want to zone in on that so that you can become the best version of yourself. You can become the high performance nurse. You can step into being the highest version of yourself. Because at the end of the day it's not about being an elite workforce or an elite member of the team. It's about being the best version of yourself. And that was always my vision for high performance nursing. It's how can we elevate ourselves so that when we work clinically, our practices is at the highest level so that we can serve our patients whilst we also give back to ourselves. So if you are coming on this journey with me, I can't wait to see you. Follow us on social media. Thank you for celebrating 2021 with me. And I look forward to what we can achieve in 2022. Oh my God, it's so exciting. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast episode, please take a wee minute to leave a review. It would mean the absolute world to me. If you are ready to start taking action in your career and you need some support, why wait? Come and join my private Facebook community. The link is in the show notes below. Within the community, we take what we discuss in this podcast and we put it into action. Currently, I am looking for nurses who are ready to stop playing small and invest in themselves to create the life and the career they want to live. If that sounds like you, then please get in touch. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay forever curious, my nursing friends.